The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. To the wire, to the Father, hold fast, hold fast. To each other, sisters and brothers, hold fast. Hold fast Well I'm not a letting go Not a letting go No I'm not a letting go Not a letting go Of the wire In trouble the waters Hold fast There's just so much one can carry Before breaking down When the seasons left us wanting nothing more than To put it in the ground In the ground Thus we not waver from our hope's confession For He has promised us His faithfulness To the wire, to the Father Hold fast, hold fast To each other, oh sisters and brothers
Hello Ecclesia, so good to be gathered with you wherever you are in the city or all across this globe. We're so grateful that you're here. As we begin our worship today, would you join me in praying a prayer? God, we are so grateful that you are with us. You are with us in this season, in every season. You're with us wherever we're gathered together today. You're with us wherever we go. So we ask that today you would help us wake up to your presence in our midst and that your presence would be an offering of peace, that you would remind us of your love and your grace, your mercy for us and for all people, and that you would do your work of uniting us as one people and bringing peace to this earth today. And we pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ecclesia, we're so grateful you're here. Let's continue in our worship.
to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise and to know the saith the Lord. special time in our service where I get to say a prayer of blessing over the littlest Ecclesians among us, our kids. This week that's especially special because I'm celebrating the week that my youngest was born. Um, so this prayer is for you, Eden, and all the kids among us going back to school and celebrating other milestones. God, 
in heaven. We thank you for the kids among us. They are such a joy to have. They're such a blessing. They bring laughter and so many wonderful things. God, we pray that you protect them, guide them, and through us that you nurture them in every stage of their lives. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we continue in our worship, would you now recite this offertory prayer along with me? Almighty God, you created everything in the heavens above and in the earth below. You survey all your creation and you savor its beauty and appreciate its goodness. To you, we lift up the best we have to offer from our time, talents, and resources. We give freely from what we have received from your hand. We give joyfully with the gratitude of a rescued people. We give generously with the excitement of children at play. We join with your mission and with your kingdom in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hello, Ecclesia. If we haven't met in person, my name's Wayne and I get to be the campus pastor at our West Side campus. And I just have a couple of quick updates for you as we continue in our worship today. First, we wanna reiterate the fact that we are gathering in person both at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on both campuses, 1100 Elder, as well as here at the West Side where I'm standing currently. And we would love for you to join us there. Uh, so if you're feeling good and want to connect with some others, please join us every Sunday, nine and 11. Next, I have an update that I'm really excited about. If you're like me when, uh, what was it, 18 months ago and the whole world shut down and we weren't sure how long it was gonna be and we moved our gatherings to this type of format and online experience, I was so blessed and just so grateful for the music that our team put out. The songs that we would sing on a typical Sunday now we would get them uh, digitally and I could watch it. Or uh, what I would do is I found myself playing the Vimeo app in my car because the audio quality was better so that I could listen to them while I was driving. And we got repeated requests for, hey, when can we make that music available? I'd love to listen to it in my home or I'd love to have it playing in the backyard when I've got folks over. And it's so exciting to me that our team has worked hard to create a live session album where they perform and sing the songs that we sing on Sundays. And the wait is over, it is out. It came out just a couple of days ago, August 6th. So you can go to whatever streaming platform you want and you can find those songs available now. You can listen to it wherever, you can share it. Uh, we think it's gonna be a gift for you and your family and friends. We would love for you to enjoy that. And as a treat, there's one song at the top that's completely original, so that's a gift for you, something totally new. Uh, but go search whatever your preferred platform is for Ecclesia Houston Live Sessions album. It's out now. And next, Ecclesia. Uh, it's my honor to uh, set the stage for a good friend, our teaching pastor, Sean Palmer, as he continues this series where we've been in partnership with our friends at Good Shepherd New York.
talking about what does it look like to reimagine our lives, uh, to not just turn things back on to the way they were, but to do so with intentionality and thought so that we create lives and, and a world that we long to see happen. So would you join me in welcoming Sean as he continues our series, Preaching from uh, New York. So, Ecclesia, we love you. Can't wait to see you. God bless. One of my favorite writers is a woman named Anne Lamott. Uh, there are people in the world like me who write books, and then there are people who are real writers like Anne Lamott. And where I was born into the church, she came to it later. And she tells the story of her conversion, her coming to Jesus in her autobiography, Traveling Mercies. And she talks about being in the darkest part of her life, in the midst of her dark night of the soul, where her whole life had just been given over to alcohol and cocaine. And she found herself one Sunday at a local farmer's market. And in the market, she could hear the sounds of this church and their singing. And she made her way over there. And she saw in the church this group of people just worshiping together in song. And in the book, she writes this. She says, the singing was fury and resonant, coming from everyone's very heart. There was no sense of performance or judgment, only that the music was breath and food. Something inside me that was stiff and rotting would feel soft and tender. Somehow the singing wore down all of the boundaries and distinctions that kept me so isolated. In the early days, of the Christian church. After the apostles had all died, there arose a group of women and men called the Desert Fathers and the Desert Mothers. And they dedicated their entire lives to just being with God, connecting with God, hearing from God. And so what they did is they went out into the desert, away from everyone, to do what Jesus did when he went out into the desert, which was to do battle against Satan. And learning from Jesus and learning from the apostles they gave most of their days and most of their nights to the practice of spiritual disciplines. And they passed those practices down to us. Practices like solitude, fasting, prayer, Lectio Divina. And what Christians throughout the centuries have discovered is that those practices are powerful and profound. They connect us to God. They connect us to one another. That those practices are guiding, mediating practices that give metal and meaning to what it means to be God's people. But something happened over the course of time that as the church grew and grew more institutional, so many of those practices just faded away. And what happened, and maybe what you received um, when you were first coming to faith, when you were first following Jesus, was that faith itself just became about mental assent to a certain group of ideas. It, it became about believing that Jesus was like a historical figure or just even worse, just having faith in faith and that the problem was that you didn't have enough faith. It was about believing that 
faith and the practice of faith was about showing up at a certain place at a certain time, doing certain things in a certain order. And we exchanged all of that, all of that beauty that's found in knowing God. We exchanged all of that to just know some stuff about God. Following Jesus became reduced to a weekly gathering and the Western church has become so deficient because of it. And didn't we hear a lot about that at the beginning of COVID quarantine? Like, didn't our own language betray what we really thought, how impoverished we were? Because as soon as people needed to stay at home for health and safety, how quickly did you hear people start to complain that well, we can't even go to church? And I wanted to say, like, no, like, like church is not a place where certain things happen. Church is a certain people through whom God is making things happen. But it was so telling. Being a follower of Jesus had moved so far away from what the desert fathers and the desert mothers and the apostles and Jesus practiced that it had almost been completely lost. But thankfully, in my lifetime, there have been thinkers and leaders, people like Ruth Haley Barton and Dallas Willard and Richard Foster, who have really focused Christians on developing a robust and rich life with spiritual practices at the center as, as a means of transformation. And as great as those have been, as, as powerful as those have been, the difficulty is that most of the practices that we think of when we think of spiritual practices are individual practices. There are things that you do alone, by yourself. And I want you to have those, I have those. Those are rich and meaningful. But as our country moves forward and as much as we have learned in a year of being at home and being isolated from one another, is that perhaps now what we need more than anything is a rediscovery and a reimagination of communal practices. There are in fact spiritual practices designed for us to do together. And they don't make much sense apart from doing them together. And it's not that you can't do them by yourself or with a small group or sitting on your couch, but they find their deepest, richest, most engaging meaning when we share them, when we embrace them in community. For a dozen years, I was a youth pastor. And in that time, we would frequently take our kids, our students, to lead worship at a convalescent or a nursing home. 
And it was always the same sort of thing. We would arrive and we'd lead a worship service. We'd hang out with the residents for a little bit and then we would go. And we always found it more difficult than we wanted it to be to have conversations with the residents, but we could see that they always felt like it was meaningful. That was a profound experience for them. And then one Sunday, one of my students asked me, why are we doing this? And the reason he asked was because he saw the same thing that I saw when we arrived, that the orderlies and the nurses would roll down the residence to the room where we were meeting and we would sing songs and they wouldn't be particularly engaged. And one of our students would give a brief message and then we would share communion with them. And when we served communion, we actually had to serve communion, like pour it in mouths and put the bread on tongues. And when he asked me why we were doing this, what he was really asking, what he was really saying was, they don't seem to be getting a whole lot out of this. And so when he asked that question, like I felt the same way too, but I knew something that he didn't know, that they were getting something out of it. They were getting us out of it. And we were getting them because following Jesus is not the kind of thing that you can do alone. They needed and we needed true community and true communion. And that's why the apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth that key to who they are together and when they are together is to discern the community. And the only time that they really would light up is when we were singing. Because remember, singing, as it was for Anne Lamott, is breath and food. And just what would happen if we reimagined spiritual disciplines? through the lens of something we all know. Something like singing. What if we saw singing as our communion? This thing that we do together that is wholly different when we do it together than when we do it on our own. So I have two daughters, they're teenagers now, but when they were little, we would take these long road trips in the summer across the country. And so we would spend 10, 12 hours a day just in the car together. And we did what a lot of you have done and probably are doing with your own kids when you're on a long road trip like that. Like we play car games. And we don't go on as many road trips anymore. But the good thing is that we live in Houston, Texas, and sometimes when you need to go 15 miles away, that can still be a 10-hour trip. And what we have found recently is that when we're stuck in traffic, when we're taking the long way around, when we're sitting together in the car longer than any of us want to, 
is that we can still play those games. And so my youngest daughter has presented us a new game and it's about singing. And I don't know the name of it. She just picked it up one day and here's how it works. That you take turns and everyone is given a word, any word. The word could be shake or things or foot or love, just a word. And you have a certain amount of time where you have to come up with a song lyric with that word in it and sing it. And you know what happens when someone else gets a word and they start singing a song that you know and that you like? Well, one person starts singing it with them. And then soon the whole car is singing it with them. Unless it's a love song and mom or dad starts singing and the other one joins them and then there's just a lot of eye rolling in the backseat. But that's what singing does. It draws us together and we join in together. In the early days of COVID, no one called or emailed or texted me saying that they missed my teaching. What they did say was that they missed the church's singing. But why would that be the case? I mean, we sing by ourselves all the time. People sing in the car, we sing in the shower, we sing when we dance around the house. We sing all the time. So what gives? Well, here's what gives. Singing is a communal discipline that binds us to God and connects us to one another. It speaks to our soul. And it's not that we don't ever sing alone, because we do. It's just not the same thing. When I'm in worship at my local church on the weekend, and we're in the fourth gathering of the weekend, and I have sang these same five songs now going on the fourth time, do you know what connects me to God? Well, it's not this, these five songs that I've already sang three times, and it's not the lyrics which I have seen plastered on the wall already three times as we gear up for the fourth. What connects me to God is hearing and seeing the church's singing. And not just because it's the first time in the weekend for them, but because it is the single moment in my week where those in my community of faith, when we draw together and we speak to God and the world, to our souls and to one another in one voice. One of my professors wrote this about the church's singing. He says, Christian hymns invite us to delight in God's presence. 
not merely think about him. Music awakens us to God's matchless power, beauty, and transcendence, his sheer otherness. Music can simultaneously make us feel the grandeur and the smallness, the grandeur of God and the smallness of us compared to him. This is why whenever a worshiper approaches God, the worshipers invariably resort to symbolic language, image, and song to describe the uncanny experience. These are the tools of the worshiper to suggest and search the unsearchable. And this is what we do together. So one of the most profound teachings in the New Testament is found in Philippians 2, and it's the Christ hymn. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church that is divided inside the church, and they're being persecuted from outside the church. If you were writing to a group of people who are experiencing that together, like what would you say? What would you say to a group of people like that? Or maybe it's a friend or a family member who's struggling with something. Maybe there's fighting. Maybe they're fighting. Maybe they're trying to hang on to their faith. What would you say if one of your children was in a sharp and harsh disagreement with another one of their children? Like what would you do? Well, I know what you would do. You would give them some good advice. You'd give them a word from your own experience or from people that you've known. You would have some good things to say. That's what I would do. You'd tell them that they needed to find a mediator or a trusted counselor maybe to help them work all of that out. You'd offer your help and assistance. What does Paul do in that same instance? He reminds them of a song. This is what he says in Philippians 2. He says, remember, though he, though Jesus was in the form of God, he chose not to cling to equality with God. But he poured himself out to fill a vessel brand new, a servant in form and a man indeed. The very likeness of humanity, he humbled himself obedient to death, a merciless death on a cross. So God raised him up to the highest place and gave him the name above all names. So when his name is called, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth and below, and every tongue will confess, Jesus, the anointed one, is Lord to the glory of God our Father. That in the midst of all of this stress and pain and distress. Paul reminds them to sing together. And you'll remember from the Old Testament that when Moses is told by God to go to Egypt and set the Hebrews free and pain after pain after pain they experience, they finally escape from Pharaoh, they cross over the sea. And what do they do in this moment of jubilation and exhaustion, this moment where you're questioning what's next and where we're going, what do they do? They sing. They sing. 
it would be weird in that moment for just one person to sing. Because when we sing, we speak to God and the world, to our souls and to one another with one voice. So I was raised in a Christian tradition where all of our singing was a cappella, no instruments. And when you're from outside of that tradition, that seems really weird to you and we get that. But when you're raised inside, it becomes beautiful to you. And it teaches you some things because the form actually does theologize in a way. And what you learn there is that you learn that you have a contribution to make to the beauty of the church. Like by the time that you are in sixth grade, you know whether you are a soprano, alto, tenor, or bass. And you learn, because we sing in four-part harmony, you learn to sing your part. And there's no part that sounds great by itself. But when all four parts sing together, we contribute to beauty. And you can't do that alone. And you also learn to listen to one another, to hear the voices next to you. We learn to sing the songs of other people and to hear their faith expressed in the same words and lyrics that our faith is expressed. You have to learn to listen. And you know what it is to create harmony together. That in the midst of all of this difference, that there is a way that we sing together that creates something profound that would not happen singing separately. The one time in the Gospels that we know of Jesus singing is on the night that he was betrayed. And after communion together with his disciples, they go and sing a hymn. Because our singing together is breath and food. Church, let me pray for you. Creator God, open our ears to one another's voice and open our voices to speak into your word as a community of worshipers. That we would be drawn to you and drawn together by this communal discipline that we do regularly and that we prioritize. That we would join Jesus in being able to face the dark night ahead of us because we have experienced breath from you and food from you. And we ask it in your name, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
So Ecclesia, as Pastor Sean just invited us into some rhythms and practices of how we can pursue God in meaningful ways, not just individually, but corporately and together. It's my honor to invite you to the table wherever you are, where we remember and declare Christ's death and resurrection with brothers and sisters gathered in our homes or all across this city and all across this globe throughout centuries. And I wanna share this passage with you that for me helps center me and remind me of why this makes us one. And this is from Ephesians chapter two, where the apostle Paul writes that he, Jesus, is the embodiment of our peace, sent once and for all to take down the great barrier of hatred and hostility that has divided us so that we can be one. He offered his body on the sacrificial altar to bring an end to the law's ordinances and dictations that separated Jews from the outside nations. His desire was to create in his body one new humanity from the two opposing groups, thus creating peace. Effectively, the cross becomes God's means to kill off the hostility that once and for all so that he is able to reconcile them both to God in this one new body. And so Ecclesia, we come to the table where we remember Christ's death and resurrection that makes us one with brothers and sisters all across this globe. As we come to the table, I wanna invite you to look inside, to be honest with yourself, to be honest with God about the ways that we've participated in creating that hostility and division and to ask God to redeem us, to forgive us, and to help us walk in this peace that Christ created for us. So would you join me in this prayer of confession? I'll read as a celebrant and you can respond as the people. God, you have made us to be free, but we crave the cheap comforts of our chains. You have made us to serve others, but we have eyes only for ourselves. You have made us to love, but we are inflamed with lust. You provide that we may be generous, but we greedily hoard as if your well will run dry. You forgive time and again, but we hold fast to the sins of others. You offer light for our path, but we insist on making our own way. And altogether, you are the God who saves. Lord, save us from ourselves in your great mercy. Restore and heal us and grant us your peace. So Ecclesia, we remember today Christ's body and his blood broken and shed for us to bring us together and to make us one. Ecclesia, this is the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. May you taste and see his peace and unity. Amen.
Join us now as we close with this benediction prayer. The eternal word became the incarnate word, sent to commune, to heal, to save. So God sends you. Now into the world, this day, to be echoes of that light and love, heralds of reconciling hope, engaging, participating, eyes ever fixed upon the kingdom. Go forth in joy, trusting that the grace of your creator, redeemer, and sustainer goes before you and is with you always exactly where you are and exactly as you are. Go to serve, to love, to live the church. Dwell in peace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.